Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John chapter 14. If we had a friend who had to go away to a distant place for a long period of time, and we would not see him while he was away, we might wonder what has happened to our friend and has his heart of friendship changed toward us at all. And this is the question we are considering in our recent sermons in regard to our Lord Jesus Christ, because he is our Lord and Savior, and he is also our friend who has gone into the distant place of heaven. And we are considering what is his heart as he remembers us down here upon the earth, has his heart of affection and love for us changed. And what we have begun to see is that his heart of love And grace and compassion for us continues the same in heaven for us today as it has always been when he was on the earth. John told us in chapter 13 and verse 1 that Jesus knew that he was to depart out of this world to the Father. And then John tells us about his continuing heart of love. There, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. John there gives us a window by which we can see the entire discourse of this upper room with his disciples. Christ is in heaven. His love and affection for us is the same even now that he is enthroned with his Father above. Last Lord's Day, we saw his continuing love here in John chapter 14 in verses 1 through 3 and especially at the end of verse 2 and the beginning of verse 3, where Jesus says two times, I go to prepare a place for you. I am going to my Father who is in heaven, but I will never forget you who are upon the earth. And he will always be preparing that place for us. Whatever needs to be prepared, he will do that work because he loves us who are in the world, and he will love us to the end. This morning we consider other verses here in this Upper Room Discourse which show us the continuing love of Christ for us from heaven. And the first thing we want to see this morning is that Jesus comforts his grieving disciples. Jesus comforts his grieving disciples. This is what we see down in verse 18 where Jesus said to them, I will not leave you As orphans, I will come to you. Jesus here speaks to them as they felt on this night, because they were beginning to feel like orphans. He had just told them that he would depart from them soon. They were men who had been completely devoted to him. They had given up everything for him, and he was all things to them. Back in John chapter 6, When the great multitude withdrew from Jesus, Peter said, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And there was no one else in this world that they desired to be more with than Jesus. And they could not imagine what life would be like if he departed from them. 
He had just told them he was going to a place where they could not follow. And their hearts were filled with sorrow and distress. What would happen? What would become of them now when Jesus was gone away from them? They began to think they would be like orphans, like little children who had no parents to provide for them or help them. Orphans who are left to themselves, they are weak and vulnerable. They are in a most destitute condition, exposed to all kinds of dangers. No one to protect them, no one to provide for them or care for them or love them. They are lonely, dejected, and they feel abandoned and unloved and neglected. And this is the way these disciples began to feel on this night as they heard the news that Jesus was soon to depart from them. This is how they felt as orphans, and we would feel the same way today if Jesus had gone to heaven and left us all alone. But Jesus assures them and us That he will not leave us alone. He says, I will not leave you in such a destitute condition. I would not leave you as those abandoned and unloved, uncared for. My love for you is so great. I will never permit this to ever take place. I will not leave you as orphans. And even though I ascend back into heaven, I will never forget you there. And this is what I will do to you, for you. I will not leave you as orphans, he says. I will come to you. A remarkable promise of Jesus. That he will be in heaven. Returned to his heavenly father. His disciples will be on earth. And there will be this great distance between him and us. And yet, he says, I will come to you. He says to his disciples here this night, he says, I know how prone you are to feel abandoned and to be downcast in the midst of your troubles, but I will not leave you in that state. I will come to you and I will take you in my arms and I will make my presence known to you. I will care for you, love you, and comfort you. In all of your need, I myself will come and be with you. So we wonder, well, how can Jesus make this promise here? I will come to you. Because on the one hand, he has made it clear that he is soon to depart from them. And they cannot follow him. But now, on the other hand, he tells them, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. How is it that Jesus will come to them? It is true that he will come to them after his resurrection. And he will make undeniable, give undeniable evidence to them that he has risen from the dead. But his appearance with them after the resurrection will only be for a little while. What Jesus speaks of here is after his resurrection, which is the context in which he is thinking throughout this entire upper room when he ascends to his Father who is in heaven. But what does he mean? 
I am going to prepare a place for you with my father in his house, but I will still come to you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you in such an abandoned and desolate state as unloved orphans. I will come to you. So we see his comfort to his grieving disciples here. But then in the second place, we see that Jesus will make an abundant provision for them. He will make an abundant provision for them. And this is what we find back in verse 16 and the, ver- and the beginning of verse 17. Jesus says there, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever, that is, the Spirit of truth. When he says there, and I will ask the Father, he speaks of his ascension back to his Father's throne in heaven. On the following day, Jesus was to go to the cross, and there he would lay down his life and suffer for sin and perfect atonement to take away all sin. Father would be so pleased with him, the Father would raise him from the dead and exalt him back into heaven, and there Jesus would be glorified at the right hand of his heavenly Father. This is what Jesus knew would take place. He was soon to depart out of this world. He was going back to the Father, and the Father would raise him into the highest place of glory in heaven. The Father would say to him, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Christ would take his seat at the right hand of God in the very highest place of glory in heaven. And this is what Jesus refers to here. But he tells us that when he is in the highest place of glory, this is what he will do. He says, I will ask the Father when I arrive there. I will not forget you as orphans. I will ask the Father, and this is what he will do for you. He speaks here of his intercession in heaven at the right hand of God, the request that he will make on our behalf and for our needs. This is the request, he says, that I will make of the Father for you. I will ask him for another helper. And I know the Father always gives what I ask, and he will give to you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. We ask the question, will this helper be sufficient for us? in our needs here on earth? Will he be able, will this helper that he will ask of God the Father, will this helper be sufficient and able to meet our needs? The helper that the Father will send is the Holy Spirit, as he says in verse 17, the Spirit of truth. The word helper is the Greek word parakletos, It's an elastic, flexible word with different meanings. The basic idea is that a parakletos, a helper, is one who is called alongside to give help and aid to one in need. Sometimes the word speaks of a legal counsel. 
a counselor who pleads the case of another in a court of law, one who represents and advocates for the cause of another in that court of law. John uses this word, the very same word, in this way in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 where he speaks of Jesus as our advocate with the Father in heaven. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, a parakletos, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And there he is in heaven pleading our cause on our behalf here on earth. But it is impossible to find one English word which captures all the various shades of meaning of this word. Sometimes it is translated helper as it is here. Sometimes comforter, sometimes counselor, advocate, as we saw. Sometimes it is translated friend or, or strengthener. The NAS here gives us a good translation when it uses the word helper. This is who the Holy Spirit will be when he comes to us from heaven. He will come alongside of us and he will give us help, whatever help we might need. Help is a very general word. If you were to say, I'm going to give help to someone, you could mean almost anything. If you look up the word help in the dictionary, you will find how broad the meaning is. It means to give assistance or aid to another. It means to contribute and to further another. It means to give relief and comfort to another in distress and difficulty. It means to alleviate or cure from some kind of a disease. It means to improve and benefit another. It means to be able to prevent someone from falling into some great trouble or catastrophe. And the meaning of this word help goes on and on. And so the translators here They use this word helper because they want to capture how broad this word parakletos is. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will do so many varied works. He will come alongside of us, not to help us in just one way or another, But he will come and he will help us in so many and so varied ways in whatever our needs might be. And so they capture, they try to embrace all that the Holy Spirit will do when he comes from heaven. He will be our helper in whatever our needs. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. The needs of Jesus' disciples will be many and very great. And the Father will send this helper from heaven to give whatever assistance we might need. And then Jesus goes on in the rest of the discourse, speaking of many ways in which the Holy Spirit will be our helper. Lord willing, we'll look at some of those in the future. But we notice here in verse 16 that he speaks of another helper. Jesus does not say in verse 16, he will give you a helper. He says he will give you another helper. And that word another is most important for us to understand because there are two 
Greek words for another. One of them speaks of another of a different kind, but the one that Jesus uses here speaks of another of the very same kind, another of an identical kind. The implication is that another helper means that Jesus was our first helper when he was here upon the earth. But now that he is ascending into heaven, the Holy Spirit will come and be another helper just like Jesus. And that's how we should understand the verse. He is going back into heaven, and there he will be our advocate with the Father in heaven, but we will still be on earth. We will be in need of a helper. He will ask the Father to send to us another helper. And the Holy Spirit will come and he will be another helper just like Jesus. And he will carry on the same work of Jesus. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, When I go back to my Father in heaven, I will ask my Father, and he will give to you another me. He will give to you another one who is just like me in every way. And he will continue and advance my ministry on earth. The Holy Spirit is perfectly able to carry on the ministry of Christ In this way, because he himself is a divine person, just like Jesus. He possesses all of the same attributes of Jesus. He is equal with him in power and wisdom, in truth, in love and grace. All the attributes of Jesus are found in the Holy Spirit himself. Jesus will no longer be with them in his physical presence on earth. But the Father will send them another helper just like him, with all of the same power and grace and love and truth, fully able to carry on the same ministry of Jesus. You remember back in the first chapter of John's Gospel, he said the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John said, of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. He said the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. That was the experience of the disciples in the presence of Christ. There was glory in him. There was grace upon grace and truth that came from him. But now he is departing back into heaven. Where would they ever find this continuing grace and truth? Jesus says, do not worry. And do not be anxious about this. You will lack nothing, he says, when I am gone. And this is how great my continuing love for you will be. That even when I am in glory, I will make this most abundant provision for you. And I will ask the Father. And he will give you another helper who will be just 
like me. And when he comes, all the grace and truth that you have seen in me will be in him as well. You will lack nothing of my fullness and my ministry will continue. My work will be carried on even by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, when he comes to you. Jesus is saying to them, have you seen wisdom and truth from me? Have you known teaching, love and grace from me? Have you seen guidance and strength from me? And all these things will continue with you when the Father sends this helper. We see all three persons of the Trinity in verse 16. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God the Son ascends back into heaven. And there he asks God the Father for another helper. And the Father in heaven sends the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, down from heaven. It is the Father here who sends the Holy Spirit Jesus is the one who asks. He says, I will ask the Father. He speaks of himself as the mediator and intercessor with the Father here. And the Father will give you another helper. But in other verses, the the Son is the one who sends the Holy Spirit to us. And so it is both the Father and the Son who send the Holy Spirit down from heaven to the disciples. Thomas Goodwin wrote on this. He said, it is as if Jesus said this. My father and I, we have but only one friend who lies in the bosom of both of us and who proceeds from both of us, the Holy Ghost, and I will send him to you. At the end of verse 16, Jesus says that the Spirit will come and be with us forever. He will not be just temporary for a little while, but when he comes, he will take up his place and he will be in the midst of his disciples and he will remain there forever with them. And so Jesus here, he gives comfort to his grieving disciples. And in verse 16 and 17, he tells us of his abundant provision for us. But we want to see in the third place that Jesus here fulfills Old Testament promises. Verse 16 is a most significant verse in the scripture because Jesus speaks here not just of a one-time request or intercession with the Father in heaven, but Jesus is speaking here of the most momentous events that will ever take place in this world Here we come to the very pinnacle of the history of salvation. Two great promises from the Old Testament scriptures are here being fulfilled. The promise of the coming Messiah, the Savior, and the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Both of them were promised in the Old Testament. Jesus was the Savior. He was to die upon the cross in a few short hours. He would make the one sacrifice for sins. 
that could take away all sin for all who believe. The blood of bulls and goats throughout all the Old Testament centuries, they could never take away a single sin, but Christ would take away all sin by his sacrifice upon the cross. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12, he having offered one sacrifice for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God. And so he would ascend to the right hand of God and there he would ask the Father to send another helper, the Holy Spirit, and based upon his finished work, as the reward of it, the Father would send the Holy Spirit. And so we have these two momentous events taking place here that would change the course of human history and the world would never be the same. The Son of God will hang upon a cross for sin. And then he would be glorified and the Holy Spirit would come. Not just upon a few disciples in that upper room, but upon all of his people and his church to the end of the age. And the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus is speaking of here. In verses 16 and 17, there's an important passage that helps us with this back in John chapter 7. Back in John chapter 7, we'll look here for a moment. And we'll read verses 37 through 39. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. In verse 37, Jesus stood on the last day, the great day of the feast, in the temple in Jerusalem, when the great crowd was gathered there, at the feast, and he cried out and he made this invitation to any man, to anyone is thirsty. He said, let him come, let him come to me and drink, and I will quench his thirst. A thirsty soul is one who knows that his soul can never be satisfied with the things of this world. Whatever he might have in this world, they can never fill the deepest longings of his soul. He may have all money. He may have wealth. He may have pleasures. He may have relationships, material things. He may have all kinds of experiences. But his soul is still discontent and unhappy, always thirsting after more. The human soul is like a very deep well. And in that deep well, it is utterly dry and empty because it is separated from the God of heaven. And the only way for that well to be filled again is to come to Jesus and to drink 
of the living waters that he alone can give. We see he mentions living waters back at the, down at the end of verse 38. These are the same waters he spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well about back in chapter 4. He said to her, whoever drinks of this well shall thirst again. He was referring to the physical well, the things of the world. You will thirst again if you drink from those things. But then he said, but the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well springing up to eternal life. The well that I have, the water that I have will satisfy. That woman had a thirsty soul and she came to Jesus and she believed and her thirst was quenched and she was saved and she never thirsted again. Christ is the only source of the living water. And what Jesus did on this day, he would do to all men today. And he would cry out to you that you would turn away from your love of the things of the world that can never satisfy your soul and you would come to Jesus and find living waters of eternal life from him. In verse 38, Jesus quotes a promise from the Old Testament. He who believes in me, he who comes to me and drinks, as the scripture said, and then he quotes, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. He does not quote here from one particular verse, but he brings together a general summary of the promises of the Old Testament scripture. We ask the question, what are the living waters that he speaks of here? And John gives us the answer in the beginning of verse 39. He says, but this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. So the living waters that he promises at the end of verse 38 is the Holy Spirit who is given to all who believe. A couple of things we note from that quote at the end, that summary quote at the end of verse 38. First thing we see there is the depth by which the Holy Spirit works in the souls of Christians. However deep the soul thirst may be. He says, from the innermost being, down into the very depths of the human soul, the Holy Spirit, wherever there is thirst, however deep the thirst is, the Holy Spirit can meet that thirst. Second thing we see is how full and abundant the Holy Spirit is in the believer. Jesus speaks here of living rivers. He says rivers of living water. Not streams, not little brooks, but rivers of living water. And he speaks of the flow, the flow of these rivers, large, abundant movements, a fullness that the Holy Spirit brings into the life of the believer. In other words, there is no thirst of the human soul that the Holy Spirit cannot quench. There is no end to what he will give to us, and we may drink until we can drink no more. There is this flow of living water, and it is living water, Jesus says. In other words, the Holy Spirit comes and brings spiritual life, and this is how this life is maintained within us. So we have these three words that can describe this promise. There is depth, there is fullness, and there is life 
found in this promise of the Holy Spirit. But then John tells us, now in the, at the end of verse 39, that this promise was not yet fulfilled. He says, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The word given there is added. It is not found in the original language, and so it really should read, for the Spirit was not yet John does not mean that the Spirit was not yet in existence because he is eternal and from the beginning. He did not mean that the Spirit had never been given to the Old Testament believers because the Holy Spirit had always been given to Old Testament saints. The Holy Spirit always regenerates, sanctifies, and has strengthened the people of God. The translators add this word given to help us understand that what John means is that the Holy Spirit was not yet given in all the fullness of his grace and influence upon believers according to the promise quoted at the end of verse 38. That promise at the end of verse 38, an Old Testament promise that would only be realized in the New Testament. It had not yet been realized. The Holy Spirit has not yet been given in all the fullness and strength of his grace and influence. And then John tells us at the end of the verse when it would be fulfilled. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. In other words, Jesus had not yet ascended back into heaven. Only when he took his seat and was glorified with his Father in heaven, then the promise would be fulfilled. And Jesus here is looking forward, John here is looking forward to the day of Pentecost after the death and resurrection and the exaltation of Jesus. Only then would the Holy Spirit be given in this way. The whole thing hinged on the finished work of Christ He would have to go to the cross and pay the penalty for sin and then be raised and glorified. Only then could the Holy Spirit come in all his fullness upon believers. Calvary had to take place before Pentecost. Jesus had to purchase the gift of the Holy Spirit by his own death upon the cross. So there would be this fuller measure, this more abundant work, this greater influence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of New Testament Christians as compared to Old Testament believers. In the fulfillment of the promise from his innermost being, this is New Testament Christian, from his innermost being, there shall flow the rivers of this living water. And so this is what Jesus is speaking of in John chapter 14. If we go back to John chapter 14, what John speaks of in John chapter 7 is what Jesus now says is about to take place. The most momentous events in the history of salvation. The Son of God will die upon a cross. He will be ascended to heaven. He will ask the Father... And the Father will send another helper, the Holy Spirit, who will be with us forever, the Spirit of truth. 
So here we see the love of Jesus for his disciples. That he has gone into heaven and he will not forget us when he is there at the right hand of God. He is in glory, but he still remembers our needs on earth. He will send another helper fully able with all divine power and grace abundant to help us, strengthen us, and comfort us in every need. And there are many works of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. We're going to look only at one as we close our time this morning. And it is the power of gospel labor, or we might call it the power of the spread of the gospel. And this is what he speaks, Jesus speaks of down in, up in verse 12. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I shall do, that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. So Jesus promises here his disciples that they will do not only the works that he has done, but they will do even greater works. He did many physical miracles. The apostles will continue to do those physical miracles, but they will do much greater works than those. They will do spiritual miracles in the conversion of many souls. Healing not just their bodies, but healing the souls of men. Not just giving them physical strength, but giving them spiritual life and a new heart. Not just taking away of a disease, but the taking away of sin and all of its penalty. The gospel is the word of God to eternal life, the power of God to salvation. And the new creation in the conversion of a single soul is a far greater work than any physical miracle or even the creation of the heavens and the earth in the beginning. How will the apostles do such things, such greater works? The answer is given at the end of verse 12. Because I go to the Father. That's the reason why in verse 12. And what will he do when he goes to the Father? In verse 16, he will ask the Father. And the Father will give another helper, the Holy Spirit, who will be with them forever. That's how they will do these greater works. He will ascend to the Father. He will ask. The Father will send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will carry on the ministry of Jesus. And this is what we see in the book of Acts. We'll turn to just a couple passages in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1. And verse 1. Luke says, the first account that I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now when Luke here refers to the first account, he is speaking of his gospel, in which he wrote of all the ministry of Jesus Christ until he ascended back up into heaven. 
And then when he says here about all that Jesus began to do, he implies that this book of Acts is what Jesus continues to do. Jesus will ascend back up into heaven in the following verses, but he will continue to do his work and he will continue to teach. And that's what Luke is going to speak of here. But how will Jesus continue this great work on the earth? The answer is given in the Holy Spirit. He mentions the Spirit in verse 2. He says, until the day when he was taken up after he had been by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Then he mentions the Spirit again in the following verses, verse 4. And gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now when he goes into heaven and asks the Father and the Spirit will come. He says in verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So here is how Jesus will continue his work through his disciples. He will ask the Father, the Father will send the Holy Spirit And the Holy Spirit will carry on the work of Jesus. Jesus was sending his disciples out into a most hostile world to preach the gospel. They would be his witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. They would face insurmountable obstacles, fierce opposition, The task that was given to them was beyond all human strength. But all the power they need, where would it come from? By the Holy Spirit whom Christ was sent from heaven. This is why Jesus told them, remain in Jerusalem and wait and pray, but wait until the promise is fulfilled and the Holy Spirit is given to you in all of his grace and strength. We see the promise fulfilled in chapter 2, over in chapter 2 and verses 32 and 33. Verse 32, This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost. Therefore, he says, having been exalted to the right hand of God, there he has gone to his Father in heaven. He has ascended. He is at the right hand of God in heaven. And there he asks for the promise from the Old Testament. And having received the promise from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. So this is where all of the power of the church came from, from the coming of the Holy Spirit in the preaching of the gospel. On this day, in this one sermon, 3,000 souls were saved. Jesus continued to do his work of salvation throughout the rest of the book of Acts as the gospel went out into the Gentile world and men could not stop its great power And the word of the Lord continued to spread rapidly and to be glorified. And it was all 
the power of Jesus in and through the Holy Spirit and his ministry. I don't have an exact count, but I counted very quickly the number of times that the Holy Spirit is explicitly mentioned in the book of Acts, and I think it came to about 70 times. And so men have said that the better name for the book of Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of Luke we might call the Acts of Jesus. And the book of Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it is all Jesus carrying on his great work by the Holy Spirit. When the disciples were in that upper room that last night, They remembered how Jesus had sent them out to preach in the land of Israel. He gave them power to perform miracles. He gave them power to heal diseases and to cast out demons. But now Jesus was departing from them and they wondered where they could ever get such power again to continue the work of his kingdom. They thought they would be left weak and destitute as orphans, but Jesus has assured them it will not be. I will ask the Father, he will send you another helper, the Holy Spirit, and that's what we have the record of throughout the rest of the book of Acts. Did they lack anything in the book of Acts? of what they needed. Men opposed them. Men were hardened sometimes, and they were driven out from one place to another, but they left churches behind in so many places throughout the Gentile world. They did not lack anything of what they needed for the continuance of his kingdom. And so it is today. And so it will be to the end of the earth. In every place where Jesus goes. The thing that the church needs, the great need of the Christian church today, is the same power of the Holy Spirit. The Christian church does not need the schemes and the devices of men. It does not need clever speech and charismatic personalities and celebrities. It does not need better music or more exciting entertainment. Whenever men think of those things, they are looking to man's wisdom and to the flesh. And Jesus said, it is the spirit that gives life and the flesh profits nothing. And whatever men can do outside of the word of God, it will produce not a single converted heart. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can do that great work. Only the Spirit can give a heart that loves Jesus and will obey him. Only the Holy Spirit can give true repentance and faith and trust in him. And the Holy Spirit comes in answer to prayer. And so the church must pray for the Holy Spirit's 
presence and power. That's what we must do on Wednesday nights. The Holy Spirit is the great need. We must witness as we should. Yes, we witness. But where will the power come from for the witness? Only by the Holy Spirit. And so the work of Christ continues to the present day. Whether churches be small or whether they be large, the will of Christ and his kingdom will prevail by the power of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of his people. And so that's the fulfillment of the promise here, as we see, beginning here in the book of Acts. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the great work of our Lord Jesus Christ that he has gone into heaven and he has made this request of the Father and the Father has sent the Holy Spirit upon his church to maintain, to continue, and to advance the cause of the gospel in every place. And we do thank you and ask that you would hear us and send more of your Holy Spirit. And we pray especially for those who are here this morning who do not know the Lord Jesus, that they would realize that they have thirsty souls that can never be satisfied in this world. They need a Savior, and the only one who can quench their thirst is Jesus who gives the living waters. Lord, may all come to Jesus and be saved from their sins and believe in him to eternal life. We pray that you would bless your word to us now this morning, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen.